The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Battle of Ruritania, Episode 3. Lieutenant Schmidt had never visited the prince before, had never even seen the prince, but he had heard stories. He knew when he arrived that he would have to undress in a small and empty room, leaving his uniform in a locker. The door opened automatically, as if by a ghost, and he stepped into a shower room. The spray of the warm water felt good, but he disliked the chemical smell of the soap. A second door opened, and he entered another changing room this one full of white robes, cloth shoes, and a cap that strapped over his hair. He drew the surgeon's mask over his face and tied it diligently behind his head. Finally, he drew a pair of gloves over his hands. He had no way to examine himself, but he knew he resembled a nurse, covered from head to toe in white cotton. Lieutenant Schmidt stepped through a final doorway, where he found a wall of glass. Before him, there was only a chair, a small table, and a telephone set. On the other side of that vast window, an entire living room was arranged within stark white walls. There was a single chair, a single sofa, a single desk, all constructed with childish simplicity. A bed was pushed into a far corner, its bedding sharply made. The prince was dressed in the same loose-fitting outfit, minus the mask. He paced along the back wall, fingers linked behind his back. Lieutenant Schmidt would never have said so, could never imagine saying so. But the prince was an odd-looking man. His cranium was bulbous, his jaw narrow, much like a light bulb. His light brown hair was short and straight, parted precisely down the middle. His torso was long and ectomorphic, even sickly, except for the belly that stretched the bottom of his shirt. He was still young, perhaps thirty, but his face had a hangdog shape. In the middle of the room, a second phone also stood. With little fanfare, the prince raked up his sleeves and picked up the horn. He turned his eyes toward Schmidt, gray-blue, the color of a still pond. Schmidt picked up his own phone and waited to be addressed. The voice that came was thin, crackling eerily over the line. Lieutenant, said the prince, I don't believe I've had the pleasure. Your Highness, answered Schmidt, suppressing his tremor. I thank you for your audience. I am a humble border guard, and I have some news from... Which post? interrupted the prince. Schmidt flinched. I... I beg your pardon? He heard the crackle of a long sigh. How a kingdom borders so many countries, Lieutenant. Which post? Ah, of course. I apologize, my liege. I have patrolled every part of the country at some point. This was uh, the German border, post 17, along the Altstrasse from Dresden. Go on. 
said the prince. "'Well, your highness, I received your memo, as we all did, about suspicious travellers, attempting to enter the country, to be vigilant, as you advised.' "'Yes.' The prince faced the opposite direction now, as if studying the blank wall. Schmidt was hesitant, since all he could see was the prince's head, but he forced himself to continue. I had a suspicious encounter, a Hungarian count, two women, traveling in a touring car. Silence. The prince neither spoke nor moved. Then he half turned, leaning into the table, and said, Where were they going? Castle Brutzen, stuttered Schmidt. I I took the liberty to escort them, to confirm their destination. The long pause that followed made Schmidt doubt he should ever have come here. The prince was a frightening character. His reputation was a quagmire of cautionary tales, whispered from one Ruritanian to another. The man never appeared in public. He never left this antiseptic box. There were stories of officials who went to see him and never came out. Yet for all his isolation, the prince held sway. All messages Schmidt knew trickled back to the prince. All orders, all ordinances began with him. Here, inside this room, all of Ruritania's governance took place. What business did Schmidt have in the presence of royalty? He was an ardent follower of rules. He never drank, never gambled, and he admonished the men who did so. Yet somehow, this was different. He loved the posters and the train station, with their dark backgrounds and bloodshot eyes, gazing malevolently over the silhouette of a castle. At the bottom, in bright gold letters, was the policeman's motto, See something, say something. My leash, said Schmidt, before he could stop himself. My name is Lieutenant Heinrich Schmidt. I have served in the gendarme for three years. I served in the light infantry before that, two years on the Eastern Front. The fatherland is my life. I have admitted thousands into our kingdom, and always with a certain resentment. To me, our land is hallowed ground, and no foreigner should ever step foot here. But I obey the laws. They are sacred to me, and never in my life, not until this day, was I so certain of another man's guilt. This man means trouble, I'm sure of it, as do the women in his company. I trust my instincts, my liege, otherwise I should never dare to disturb you. Schmidt clamped his mouth shut. He stood at rigid attention, watching the prince through the glass. The prince turned, slowly, and raised his eyes toward his guest. At last, he pressed the horn against his lips, as if smelling a tulip. He said, I'm glad you came, Herr Schmidt. I rarely have a chance to meet such a patriot. And you have me thinking. He tapped the stem of the phone with a finger. I may have a task for you, if you are interested. Anything, Schmidt blurted. Anything at all, my liege. Only name it, whatever you wish. Very good, murmured the prince. 
there has been an unexpected opening, a post that must be filled. And you have served your country well, Lieutenant Schmidt. Now it is time to help all of mankind. A wagon emerged from the fog like a ghost, guided by a single dangling oil lamp. Two draft horses grunted, breath bursting from their nostrils. The wagon clanked and squealed until it halted before the gates of Castle Brudsen. Elizabeth stood in the wet grass, sipping a cup of coffee. She watched the two figures climb out of their seats. One man was heavy-set and hunched over, his face hidden by the brim of a Tyrolean hat. The second was tall and trim, covered in a thick leather duster. He wore a tweed newsboy cap, and he wiped the moisture from his lenses. The moment he replaced his spectacles to the bridge of his nose, he smiled. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, he exclaimed. Is that Elizabeth Crown I see? Top of the morning to you, said Elizabeth, sauntering over in her tall boots. How are you, Dr. O'Malley? I told you, he said, to call me Colin. They shook hands for only an instant before the professor pulled Elizabeth into a warm embrace. He grasped her shoulders and looked into her eyes. My stars, you look well, Elizabeth. You just haven't seen me in a while, said Elizabeth, taking his arm. I always look well. Within minutes, O'Malley had stripped the coat from his shoulders and seated himself in the castle's great hall. A breakfast of bratwurst and eggs appeared before him, and O'Malley ate hungrily. Elizabeth sat across from him at the ornate wood table, studying her former teacher. He looked the same as ever, except for his graying hair, the lines radiating from his eyes. Had it really been nine years? Was he really perched before her now, buttering a toasted biscuit? How's Nestashire these days? said Elizabeth. Same as ever, O'Malley returned. The only thing that ever changes is what arrives in the mails. And how's Lexi? O'Malley patted his lips with a napkin, concealing an impish grin. Right, fine. Sweet as pudding, and I'll send her your regards. How is the trip? Long, said O'Malley, and I can't recommend crossing three borders with sixty kilos of contraband. But I'm happy to report that customs agents are as open to bribes as ever. Contraband. It was a funny word to use. Elizabeth still wasn't sure what this contraband was, but she assumed it was some kind of weapon. Who knew how far O'Malley had traveled on that rickety wagon? To a passerby, the wagon appeared to carry only a large mound of hay, covered over with a canvas tarpaulin. The driver, seated next to O'Malley for so many miles, likely had no idea what was hidden in that straw. The danger had been quite real. One curious policeman, 
one thorough search could have landed O'Malley in the clink, or worse. How are you enjoying your visit? O'Malley said, pushing away the empty plate. Well, the Baron has peculiar taste in decoration, but aside from that, it's been lovely. O'Malley chuckled. That's Elizabeth Crown for you. Put her in the middle of a tyrannous nation, surround her with spies and deadly intrigue, and all she can worry herself about is the colour of the carpets. Maud must be rubbing off on me. O'Malley took a long breath, scrutinising his old student. I have so dearly missed you, Elizabeth. Elizabeth looked down at her folded hands. The feeling's mutual. Colin. With that, Elizabeth heard the clack of footsteps on the stone floor, and Sondor stepped into the hall. He wore a satin house robe, and his hair was slick from showering. His hands were pocketed, but he held a paper tube under his elbow. O'Malley, he said, welcome to Ruritania. Sandor, O'Malley answered flatly, good to see you. Elizabeth gritted her teeth. Of all the events she had dreaded in her life, this reunion was near the top of the list. She had no idea whether the two men had interacted since Spain, and she hadn't willed herself to ask. Nine years had passed, and the wounds of Santo Demetrio felt as fresh as ever. Yet no emotions flashed. Sandor slapped his scroll against the table and unfurled it. This revealed a drawing, sketched in pen and ink, showing the layout of a castle. Is that where we are now? Elizabeth asked. Castle Brutzen? Not where we are said Sandor, but where we will soon be. It is in this castle that Prince Mikhail has constructed his secret laboratory. All three leaned over the scroll. The drawing wasn't a professional schematic, but it was drafted with skill. Each room was clearly marked. The kitchen, the great hall, the towers and bedrooms, all depicted to scale. If I were building a lab, said O'Malley, and money was no object, I should desire as much space as possible. Agreed, said Sandor. The basement, said Elizabeth. Look at the size of it, and no windows, of course, which makes it hard for peeping toms. We know for a fact that this is the place. We have it on good authority, said Sandor, and the castle has a notorious past. Riveting folklore, I'm sure, said O'Malley. But how well guarded is this castle? What do we know of its defenses? Minimal, said Sandor. The gate is closed at night. The drawbridge is raised. But the moat is shallow, especially beneath the eastern wall. There are watchmen on the tallest tower, some sentries. That is all. That's all we know, sniffed O'Malley. But surely the best guards are the ones no one sees. Well then, we'll just have to find out when we get there, said Elizabeth, sinking into her chair. Sandor and O'Malley traded glances. This was an unlikely exchange, and Elizabeth didn't like it. Oh, come now, she said. 
You weren't going to leave me behind, were you? After coming all this way? For goodness sake, Sandor, I haven't scaled a wall in ages. O'Malley pressed his palms together. The fewer who go, the safer it will be. I'm sure the Count of Venkovar agrees with me. Sandor stiffened at the sound of his noble title, but he let it pass. I do, and Sir Shanley has said so as well. Elizabeth frowned. I see. I suppose it'll be the two of you then, one to examine the lab, the other to cover him. The two men looked at each other. If that's what Teddy thinks, I'm up for it, said O'Malley. After some shut-eye, of course. And I think a good soak. These old bones aren't what they used to be. You've been listening to The Battle of Ruritania, Episode 3, written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Airmail Media in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. To learn more about the exciting field of uncanology, visit ElizabethCrown.net.